0: Good morning, crowd family, and happy, happy Sunday. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Titus chapter 2. We're now in the second chapter of Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is today's text. Again, that's Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're now in part 4 of our series, Doctrine and Devotion. Now, before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. That was chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And the focus was on false teachers, and we saw their detailed description, and they were rebellious, empty talkers, deceivers. And then Paul says, especially those of the circumcision group, referring to those who were insisting that people follow all the Old Testament rules and regulations. Paul then tells Titus and the leaders to silence them. Now remember what what it said back in verse 9, Paul writes, he, speaking of the godly leader, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine, listen now what he says, and refute, say refute, those who oppose it. Now, they were to be silenced. Why? Well, verse 11b says because they are ruining, in other words, disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. They were teaching false doctrine. And that for the sake of dishonest gain, speaking of dishonest financial Gain. Paul then points out their depraved culture, and that's in verse 12. Even one of their own, he says, prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Well, Paul tells Titus and the leaders to rebuke them sharply. Remember that? To rebuke them sharply. But remember that the goal of a rebuke should always be for restoration. It's for restoring, not destroying. So he says, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. So it's for restoring, got it? Be sound in the faith. And you see, when you you excuse me, you present the truth of God's word, it's going to rebuke and exhort. It's It's going to rearrange priorities. It's going to shape them up so that they become sound in the faith. And you see, a rebuke should lead to realignment and repentance. Listen, listen. Proclaiming... Uh, The truth of God's word should bring conviction and result in transformed lives. Someone say amen to that. Paul then points out their defiled conscience. Their defiled conscience, and that's in verse 15b. He says, But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupt. So the defilement affected their mind and their conscience, their words and their deeds revealed their heart. Verse 16a, Paul writes, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. So the profession was all in order, right? They claim to know God, but in this is now in works. In other words, in their practice, they deny Him. And so Paul's saying even though they speak spiritual language, they're not truly saved. And you see, Paul saw right through their spiritual facade. In fact, in verse 16b, he says, they are detestable, they're disobedient and unfit. In other words, disqualified for doing anything good. So this now brings us to today's text. And the title of my message today is Behaving Like True Believers. Say that, Behaving Like True Believers. So today, we're making the shift. This is now the shift from protection of sound doctrine to the practice of sound doctrine from beware of false teachers to behave like true believers if you got it say got it now before we get into the first point i want to look at verse one and let's look at verse one here paul says you say you you uh, the greek literally reads but you but you To show the contrast between what they, the false teachers, did and what Titus was to do. So Paul says, you or but you, Titus, must teach what is in accord or appropriate or fitting. I love that word fitting with sound doctrine. The word fitting describes what appropriately relates to belief in the gospel. And you see, sound doctrine, our belief system, what we believe affects the way that we conduct ourselves and how we relate to others. I want you to follow me here. What we believe should have a tremendous, tremendous effect on how we behave. Listen, friends, if God's word has not affected our behavior, then it, it's, it's, it's very apparent that it has not affected our beliefs. The Living Bible says it like this. But as for you, speak up for the right living, love this, that goes along with true Christianity. The New Living Translation says it like this. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, get this. The Bible is a book that tells us how to live. And friends, listen now. It's hypocrisy, hypocrisy for us to say that we believe it's truth if we ignore how it tells us how to live our lives. Now say sound doctrine, say sound doctrine. The word sound, remember this? The word sound is used five times in this book and forms the basis of the word hygiene. Say hygiene. And it was used to describe making sick people well. Now if you're saved, say amen. If we want, listen now, if we want to be spiritually healthy, we must talk about sound doctrine in practical ways that can be fleshed out in daily life. I love that. Now get this. Sound doctrine is the basis for sound character, and sound character is proof of sound doctrine. I'm going to say it again. Sound doctrine is the basis for sound character, and sound character is proof of sound doctrine. Now there's a lesson and what's the lesson here's a lesson. Healthy doctrine affects our lives. Write that down. Healthy doctrine affects our lives. Paul's idea of sound doctrine isn't just about, you know, hard to understand theological ideas. It's about life. About life, friends. It's about how to live. And I want to say this good teaching of God's Word affects our lives. It changes how we behave. Our beliefs should affect our behavior. Now, in today's text, Paul is addressing five different groups, five different groups, and his passion is for people to live out the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Five points from the text. They're very obvious points, and if you're ready, say yes. Come on, say yes. Number one is, The senior men, write that down, the senior men. Senior speaking of seasoned and mature older men, the senior men. Write that down, and we're going to look at verse 2. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 2, teach the older men. Say, Say older men, because I couldn't help but notice the word older, right? And by the way, friends, there are really just four stages of a man. When you believe in Santa Claus, when you don't believe in Santa Claus, When you are Santa Claus and when you look like Santa Claus. Bob Hope said this You know you're old when the candles cost more than the cake. That's true. Now, on a serious note, it's the older, mature, seasoned believers, senior believers in the church that provide its strength, stability, and its wisdom. And friends, they make the church a better and and richer place. They bring spiritual experience. They bring spiritual strength, endurance, wisdom to all of us. And that's what I appreciate about those who are seasoned in the faith, old and mature in the faith. Uh, we, We can benefit so much from them. We need to glean upon their wisdom and their knowledge. So Paul says, teach the older men seasoned, senior, mature men, to be temperate. To be temperate. This means able to discern more clearly which things are of the greatest importance and value. That this guy, he uses his time and his money and his energy more carefully and selectively than when he was younger and less mature. In other words, his priorities are in the right order. He has eternal values. I love that. He has has eternal values, and he's satisfied with fewer and simpler things. Then Paul says, worthy of respect. Worthy of respect. It has to do with seriousness of purpose of life. It's the opposite of of flippant, of being flippant and being shallow, non-purposeful, and uncommitted. And this guy, worthy of respect, he stood at enough graves and, and hospital beds and seen enough loved ones die. So he knows that there is that serious side of life. Then he says self-controlled. Say that, self-controlled. And by the way, this is closely related to being temperate and, and literally means to act with a saved mind. A self-controlled man is one who is, listen, who is disciplined. Disciplined. Matthew Henry said that this man governs well his passions and affections so as not to be hurried away by them to anything that is evil or indecent. That's powerful. Then he says, and sound, Paul writes, and sound in faith. Sound in faith. To be sound means to be healthy. Remember, we we already... Uh, talked about that to, to be healthy in other words to be fit in his faith it's it's healthy tried faith he, he's grounded in god's word and he has learned to trust god's word therefore friends his life is shaped shaped love this shaped by the word of god he says sound in faith also sound in love Say love, sound in love. It means to be sound and strong in his love for God, for God's word, for the church, for others, including non believers. He avoids bitterness because there is nothing worse than a bitter old man. So he says, sound in faith, sound in love, and, and in endurance. Sound in endurance. Your Bibles might say patience, revert as to patience. In the Greek, it's hupomone. Say hupomone. It means steadfast and active endurance. It means to remain under trials. Love this. To remain under, under trials in a way that honors God by patiently waiting on Him. And this is the person who who rides out, love this, who rides out the storms of life, both expecting and accepting trials when they come, and not losing heart. Got to get this, not losing heart when things don't turn out the way they wanted them to. In other words, friends, listen now. They don't quit when life gets tough. They don't throw in the towel. They don't blame God. They don't walk away from their faith. They don't quit when life gets tough. They still trust God. They still love God. They still cling to God. Sound in endurance, sound in patience. So number one is the senior men. Point number two is the senior women, the the mature, seasoned, older women. Number two, the senior women. Look at verse 3a, if you're still with me, say amen. Paul says, likewise. I want to stop there. In other words, everything I just said to the older men Likewise is to be applied to the older women. But there's uh, there's some additions here. He says, teach the older women to be reverent. Somebody says to be reverent in the way they live. Teach them. In other words, teach them so that their walk would match their talk and their talk would match their walk. That what they believe, sound doctrine, what they believe, sound doctrine, would match how they behave that the older women would exhibit Christ's likeness to those younger women. In other words, what Paul's saying is be a blessing. Ladies, listen now. Be a blessing in your behavior. I love that. Be a blessing in your behavior. Let's go back to the text. Reverent in the way they live. That's, that whole phrase there is one word in the Greek means priest-like. Priest-like. In other words, they're holy. Uh, they're, they're the kind of women who, who should have access to God, who enter into God's holy presence on a regular basis. It's priestly conduct. So the older women's lives are to be an expression of service to God. Now, when I think about that, I think about the woman in Luke chapter 2, verse 37. Luke 2, 37, her name is Anna. And it says this, And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple. That blows my mind. But worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. That is awesome. An 84-year-old woman who was priest-like, reverent in her behavior. Listen, she feared God. I love this. She feared God and lived in his presence. Do you fear God? And do you live in his presence? Let's go back to the text. Reverent in the way they live. The King James renders it like this, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Say holiness. You see, in the Old Testament, the priest went into the holy place to burn incense to God. And when he returned, got to get this, when he returned, the fragrance was still on his clothes. Likewise, godly women, give out a glow or a fragrance that they have spent time with God through prayer and through the Word. Now, that being said, there are many women here at Crow Christian Fellowship, many, who fear God and who live in His presence, who give out a glow and a fragrance that they daily spend time with Him through prayer and the Word. I mean, you could just see just God in their lives. You could just feel the sense of God's presence in and through their lives. They spent time with God. Paul says, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. And look at verse 3b. He says this, not to be slanderers. Did you get that? Not to be slanderers. In the the Greek, the word slanderers is diabolos. It means devil. So it means devil. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, Revelation 12, uh, verse 10 states that Satan is a supreme slanderer. He's the, what? The accuser of the brethren. The word slander literally means to throw between, to throw, to throw between. Now, I want you to follow me here. Just, Just like Satan threw lies to Eve, his game plan is to throw stuff, to throw stuff between people in order to cause wrecked relationships. Proverbs, write this down, Proverbs 16:18, Proverbs chapter 16 verse I mean Proverbs 16:28, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 16 verse 28 says this, a perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip, a gossip separates close friends. Listen, a godly woman watches her words. Her words. And what she does, she resists the urge to slaughter and slander someone with her words. She holds back. Question. Are you throwing stuff between people? Huh? Are you throwing stuff between people? Listen, friends, there is nothing more satanic-like than slander. In fact, when you slander someone, you're doing the devil's work. You're helping him out. Are you with me? Then Paul says verse 3c or addicted to much wine. That pretty much speaks for itself, right? Someone said this, nothing is more disheartening than a female alcoholic who is destroying her life by the fact that she's enslaved to something and she can't cope with life and has to turn to drinking. And by the way, friends, it was very common in the Roman and Greek culture for older women to drink a lot of wine. And what Paul does, Paul recognized that this was a special challenge that people needed to recognize and be careful of. I want you to write these verses down Proverbs 23, chapter 23, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 31 uh, through 32. Proverbs 23, 31 and 32, verses 31 and 32. And it says this: do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Wow. Proverbs 20, verse 20, uh, chapter 20, excuse me, ch- Proverbs chapter 20. Verse 1, chapter 20, verse 1, Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Listen, the Bible, friends, recognizes the dangers of alcohol and warns us against its addicting power. And I believe the Bible says the best way is to stay away from it. So Paul tells Titus to teach the older women to not be slanderers, right, or addicted to much wine. And look at verse 3D, but to teach, say teach what is good, say teach, to teach what is good. The word there teach means to train, and it has the idea uh, of coming alongside someone to shape or develop the character of someone. And the idea, of friends, is to grow a plant by bending and tying and pruning. It also describes outfitting a ship for a long voyage. So follow me here. Older women have a strategic role in shaping, growing, encouraging, and outfitting younger women for life's journey. Don't you love that? I love that. Let's go back to the text. But to teach what is good. Say good. Well, the word good there refers to that which is inherently excellent and provides a superior benefit. That being said, older women are able to pass along that which is beautiful and beneficial because of their experience of walking with God. Don't you love that? Now, as they, speaking of the older women follow the pattern of godliness, they can then find fulfillment, say fulfillment, in training other younger women. And this brings us right into the next section. This is the third group. Point number three is the younger women. The younger women. Uh, Number one is the senior men. Uh, Number two is the senior women. And number three is the younger women. Say that, younger women. And here, Paul. What Paul does, Paul then gives a list of good things. Say good things that the older women are to train the younger women. Now, listen. According to Paul's instruction, Titus was not to make this now not to make it his ministry to teach the younger women directly. Instead, he was to equip and encourage the older women to teach the younger women. And I think that's that was a good thing. That's for integrity purposes. Uh, a man uh, should never mentor another woman one-on-one unless it's his wife, okay? Uh, so this is part of there, speaking of the older woman's spiritual uh, stewardship, to be teaching that which is good to the younger women. Uh, look at verse 4a. If you're still with me, say amen. Then they can train the young women to love their husbands. Do you get that? So this actually stresses affection, Uh, care, tenderness, warmth, and feelings. And the young wife is to have affection, affection uh, for her husband. And they would learn this by watching the older women. A wise woman once said, the day you said, I do, you chose your love. Since then, you have been learning to love your choice is that awesome? And you know, friends, just to be honest, too many people today, too many people today get married because they have romantic feelings, but when those feelings go away, they want, they want to go away. It's true but sad. Sad but true. Let me give you the best definition of biblical love. And I love this. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. I'm going to say it again. Love, this is a definition of biblical love. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. You need to write that down. Now, friends, what we need today in our culture, our society, in our world, we need wise wives who are in marathon marriages to stand up and say, It's not my love that sustains my commitment, it's my commitment that sustains my love. And that commitment is demonstrated in service and sacrifice. Amen. So the older women are not only to train and teach the younger women to love their husbands, but also to love their children. Look at verse 4b. Paul says, And children. And children, to love their husbands and children. She is to love and she is to care and she is to, uh, you know, love her children that God has blessed her with. Moms, listen now. Moms, you need to be reminded that children are a blessing from God, not a burden to be endured. They're a blessing. I know they're not always easy to raise, but they're a blessing. Psalm 127 3 says this Psalm 127 3. Chapter 127, verse 3, says, Children are a gift from God. They are a reward from Him. Now let me tell you what loving your children doesn't mean. It doesn't mean giving them everything they want, making sure that they keep up with the world. It doesn't mean that. Let me tell you what it means. Loving your children means teaching them to love Jesus. Amen? Teaching them to love Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Timothy's grandmother Lois and mother Eunice taught him how to love Jesus. So listen, moms, okay? You are to care for the spiritual needs of your children. Also for their emotional and physical needs. I get that, but primary their spiritual needs. So you love your children by teaching them to love Jesus. It also means, this that loving your children also means disciplining them, disciplining them. Write this down, Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs chapter three, verse 12 says, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, say loves, as a father, the son he delights in. Now, I wanna say this. As you correct, as you discipline your children, it's important to do it out of love. Say out of love, out of love. Because discipline is a sign of love. Proverbs 13, 24, write that down. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 says, He who spares a rod hates his son, but he who loves him, loves him, is careful to discipline him. Proverbs nineteen eighteen. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. The Living Bible says it like this. Discipline your son in his early years while there is hope. If you don't, you will ruin his life. So teach him to love Jesus and discipline them. Then verse 5a, look at verse 5a. He says to be self-controlled. To be self-controlled. We talked about this earlier, right? One who governs well her passions and affections so as not to be hurried away by them. Remember that? By them to anything that is evil or indecent. And you see friends the Cretans were known for lack of self control. Now I want you to say say self control. Come on, say it. Self control. Listen, self control, listen now, it influences all we do. It's one of the manifestations of the fruit of the spirit found in Galatians 5:23, self control. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 9, 1 Timothy 2:9 says women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self self control. Look at verse five b. He says, "And pure, not just to be self control, but also pure." This means pure morally and sexually, to be pure in thought and in act. Then he goes on verse five c to be busy at home. Your Bibles might render it as Keepers at home. Now, I want to say this, and you got to get this, please. Paul's not prohibiting women working outside the home. In fact, the woman in Proverbs 31 spends a fair amount of time outside the home selling and buying. But Paul clearly, clearly urges that the home takes a position of priority. Did you get that? Listen, Christian homes are created. They're created, friends. They don't just happen. They're created. It takes work. Barclay said this It is a simple fact that there is no greater task, responsibility, and privilege in this world than to make a home. That is so true. Now, listen whether you work out, whether you work, excuse me, whether you work at the home or outside the home, a married woman's Primary responsibility is to her home and her family. Now, I know that's not popular in today's world, but that's the truth of God's word. Her primary responsibility is to her home and her family. Oliver Green stated this does not mean that the wife is never to go out of the home, never to take part in any outside interests, but she is not to neglect the duties of the home in order to participate in things outside the home. She is to be diligent at home, not lazy or slothful, not unconcerned about the home and the things pertaining thereto, but to give her best to the home, seeing that things are in order and that the home is kept as becomes a Christian. Amen. Verse 5D, let's move on. To be kind. He says, to be kind. Kindness deals with uh, doing good, being benevolent uh, towards others. It's, it's hospitality. It means having a giving nature. And you'll find that in 1 Timothy 5.10. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10, and also 1 Thessalonians 5.15. 15. 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Let's read on verse 5E. Uh, Paul says, and to be subject, here we go, be subject to their husbands. Now the word subject or submission in the Greek is hupatasso. Say that. Say hupatasso. It means to arrange or to line up under. It's a military term, meaning lining up under the commanding officer. Now listen, and you got to get this: both husbands and wives are equal before God. Got it? They're equal before God. But get this now. But equal does not mean identical nor does it mean interchangeable. And it clearly doesn't imply inferiority. Okay? We're equal in the eyes of God, but different in functionality. John Stott said this, God has created an order which includes a masculine headship, not of authority, but of responsibility and loving care. Where love and mutual respect rule the home, there'll be little problem with submission on part of the wife. The husband is not a dictator, but he exercises—I love this—his headship primarily by primarily by service. This is the same way that Jesus expressed his headship over the church. So listen, listen. She seeks to submit to her husband in accordance in accordance to the plan of God for the home. Now she's not a slave. Gotta get that. She's not a slave to her husband. But what she does, she gladly, gladly, and joyfully looks to him for guidance and leadership within the home. So husbands, listen now, you need to provide provide guidance and leadership in the home. Can I get an amen? Look at verse 5F, the last part of verse 5, I believe, yeah, last part of verse 5. So that no one will malign, in other words, dishonor or discredit or blaspheme the word of God. So listen women, It's important to remember that people are watching how you live. How you live. Listen, you can corrupt truth by your conduct. You can dishonor the word by your deeds. So, listen now. So when older godly women train the younger women, and the younger women live out these principles, if they do, no one will malign, dishonor, discredit, blasphemy, the word of God. Why? Because their doctrine, what they believe, matches their behavior, how they live. J.B. Phillips says this way, that women who live out these principles are a good advertisement for the Christian faith. That's awesome. Someone said this, show me your redeemed life and I might be inclined to believe believe in your Redeemer. So there's a lesson. What's the lesson? Here's the lesson. Actions at home glorify God. Write that down. Actions at home glorify God. So let me ask you this. Does your home life glorify God? What you do, what you watch, how you act, does it glorify God in your home? Does it glorify God or does it cause people to slander God? Now, I'm going to say this. If you're an older woman here at Cry Christian Fellowship and you're wondering about your purpose in life, look no further. It's right here. It is right here in the text. Your purpose, listen now, your purpose is to pour yourself into someone who is younger than you by your example. By your example, by your exhortation, your walk, your words, by your life, your life. So so make sure, listen now, make sure that your example is motivating younger women to live in a way that honors God. Older men, listen now, older men are to do the same with younger men. Which brings us to point number four is the younger men. The younger men. This is the fourth group, the younger men. Verse six, similarly, this is a, a linking word, okay? So he says, similarly, this is a linking word. Um, it shows that what the young men need to learn isn't all that different from what the younger women, the older women, and the older men need to learn. Then he says, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, sober-minded. Why? Because young men are frequently impulsive, indulgent, volatile, right? Volatile, and arrogant. And therefore are urged to be self-controlled, to behave carefully, uh, taking life seriously, to practice common sense, good judgment, to submit and surrender their passions to Jesus Christ. Now, according to William Barclay, the ancient Greek word sober-minded, Describes the man with the mind which has everything under control. Strength of mind which has learned to govern every instinct and passion until each has its proper place and no more. Get that? Notice Paul speaks to Titus with some guidelines for mentoring younger men. Verse 7. You're still with me? Say amen. Verse 7. In everything, set them an example. In everything, say everything, set them an example. Say example. That word example literally refers to the visible mark or impression, impression left by the strokes or blows of an instrument. In fact, in Philippians 3.17, Philippians 3.17 Paul says this, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. John Maxwell said this, and this is very powerful. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. We teach what we know. But we reproduce what we are. So Titus set an example by doing what is good. That's what Paul's saying. In other words, your deeds, Titus, must match your doctrine as you look for ways to do good things. What does James 2:26 say? Remember this? James 2, chapter two verse 26, says, "Faith without deeds is dead," right? Titus? Listen now, so therefore Titus had to be more than a teacher, he also had to be an example. If you got it, say got it. So let's read on. In your teaching, he tells Titus, show integrity. Show integrity. Okay? So he is to do so with the absence of self-seeking motives. Titus, listen now, has to be an example of doctrinal, say doctrinal, doctrinal stability and integrity. Then he says, seriousness, or your Bibles might render it as dignified. So he says, in your teaching show integrity, seriousness or dignified. So in other words, he's saying Titus is to be serious or dignified, why? Because he's a steward of the life of that he's investing and realizes it's his responsibility to speak the truth of God's word. In other words, simply saying this Paul's saying, Titus, this is serious business. This is no joke. And then look at verse 8 he says, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. In other words, speech that isn't filled with profanity or sexual innuendos or lying. And sound of a speech that cannot be condemned so that those, this is what he says, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Do you get that? In other words, They can make no valid accusation against us. And if they do, if they do, they would have to lie to do it. So there's a lesson. What's the lesson? Here's the lesson. Is be an example. Say that. Be an example. Be an example. Now, if you're you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. Friends, if you're saved, if we're saved, okay, if you're saved, be one to leave an impression on others, pressing into them, friends, and leaving your example. Listen, listen. When you want to instruct others, be sure to ask yourself, I'm going to say it again. When you want to instruct others, be sure to ask yourself, have I been setting, have I been setting the right example? Ask yourself, does my life reinforce what I teach, what I believe? Does it? Be an example, not just with words, but with deeds, with your lifestyle. Number one is the senior men. Two, the senior women. Three, the young women. Number four, the young men or younger men. And number five, the first, the fifth group, excuse me, is point number five is the slaves. Write that down. Say that the slaves, the slaves. And here, 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 Titus was to teach the slaves or the bond servants about their specific duties as Christians to their masters. This also, notice, this also has application for employer and employee relationships. Now, I want to say this. The slaves in the Roman world were treated more like employees than anything else. Listen, slavery in, in in the New Testament times was very different, very different from the cruel, inhumane practices that took place in our own country in the 16th century. Okay, so I want you to remember that. So it's much different here in the New Testament. Let's look at verse nine. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Okay? Subject to their masters in everything. Got it? That's the word hupakuo. It means to to get under them and do what they say. Now, first, got to say this. Uh, This should be qualified by everything that does not require disobedience to God. So you do, listen, you do, you're in subject to your masters in everything as long as it doesn't go against the nature and character of God and his word. If you got it, say got it. So teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything to try to please them. Try to please them. This refers to an attitude of cheerful service. In other words, you please them by being joyful and doing your work. You're not grumbling and complaining. And he says, not to talk back to them. In other words, don't speak against them. Boy, that's a tough one, right? Don't say anything bad or against your boss. Verse 10, and not to steal from them or pilfering. Same word. It means, you know, it's speaking of misappropriate or embezzle money or goods. But to show that they can be fully trusted. In other words, a dependable, faithful worker. Got it? Got it? So that in every way they will make, love this, gosh, I love this. So that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Say that, say that, attractive. The King James renders it like this that they may adorn, say adorn, that's keyword, say adorn. The doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The word adorn, got to get this now, the word adorn comes from a Greek word from which we get the word cosmetics. Makeup, cosmetics. And it means to arrange in an orderly manner so as to enhance beauty or attractiveness. And what Paul is saying, he's saying that Christians got to get this and I love this. Christians should order their lives with godly behavior so that those around you will be attracted to our savior. Attracted to our savior. And friends, this means that we need to think about our behavior and about our attitudes, especially, especially on the job. So, that being said, question Does your lifestyle, the way you live, the things you do, the things you say, does your lifestyle make the teaching of God attractive? Does it? Huh? Does it make it attractive? Let me ask you this, or let me me say this. How will it make others think about the Savior that we profess to follow? Huh? How we live. How will it make others think about the Savior that we profess to follow? So, all that's been said, I'm going to wrap it up now. and I just want to leave you with a few things pertaining to the message, obviously. And it's this. And you got to get this. Mature men must mentor moldable men. And moldable men, moldable men, excuse me, must mimic mature men. Mature women must mentor moldable women, and moldable women must mimic mature women. In other words, every man who is older should be mentoring, and every younger man should have a mentor. Every, listen now, woman, every woman who is older should be mentoring and every younger woman should have a mentor. So, this pretty much covers all of us, right? Doesn't it? Sure does. So, if you are an older man, mentor a younger man. If you are a younger man, seek someone to mentor you. If you are an older woman, you need to seek to mentor a younger woman. And if you're a younger woman, seek. To have someone to mentor you. And I'm going to say this. And I say it with love. And I want you to hear my heart. Instead of wondering when we are going to reopen as a church. Instead of even complaining why we haven't reopened. Why don't you open your heart and your life. Fill it with God's word and pour it into someone else's life. Do something do something, mentor someone, amen? You can still do God's work even though we're not meeting as a body. You can still do God's work. Now I want to say this, and I'll close with this. Whether young, old, married, or single, we are all needed in the local church. God has a job for all of us to do. And regardless of age, gender, occupation, listen now. Get this now. He calls us to live differently. To so listen now. To behave like true believers. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time we have spent in in your word. And Lord, thank you for speaking to our hearts today. And Father, my prayer is simply this, that as believers, we would order our lives with godly behavior so that those around us would be attracted to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Someone say amen. Now, before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity, if you have not done so, to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and your life to be your personal Lord and Savior, the opportunity to follow Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says that today is the day of salvation. So if you have not made a choice to follow Jesus yet, today is a day where you need to do that. And if you want to do that, you need to admit that you're a sinner, acknowledge that you need a substitute, and accept Jesus as Savior. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will, not might, but you will be saved. So if that's you, and you want to ask Christ to come into your life and to follow Him, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life to save me, cleanse me, and change me. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and believe within my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day. I am saved sealed, sanctified, justified, satisfied, purchased by the blood of Jesus, I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my life. And from this day forth, I will serve you and live for you until you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer, if you Said that prayer to follow Jesus, to be saved, to follow Jesus. We would love to hear from you. And so you can email us at contact, uh, Contact excuse me, contact at cryout.org. That's contact at cryout.org. We'd love to hear from you. So God bless you all. Love you. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next week.